This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Hey, thanks for staying with us here on Real Presence Live. I'm Karen Gibis here with Father Michael Malloy. Before we head into our next segment, I want to invite you to visit our website, realpresenceradio.com, for even more great content. There you can listen to programming from your local area, find a podcast if you missed one of the daily shows, submit a prayer intention, and see the latest cancellations and announcements that are coming with the coronavirus precautions. Be sure to check it out, realpresenceradio.com. Well, Father, it's a beautiful day. It's a great Friday. I'm happy I made it through my week. How was your week? Well, our, our week was was um, challenging on many levels, um, but not challenging in, in the sense, in a certain sense of bad. Um, we just, um, the latter part of last week, we moved into our new pastoral center or chancery office. Um, you know, uh, we sh- brought together three buildings and two locations into one location and one building and so it was um we had a company a wonderful company hired to do the moving which we were grateful for um so now the process of kind of getting ourselves in and of course we're working remotely yeah so it's getting ourselves in but really not getting ourselves in and and having people come in in staggered times to yeah right. unpack and things like that so so it's um it's been a, a busy and challenging week, but you know it's, it's also kind of filled with excitement and hope because it's like we're in this new building and yeah. it's, you know, everything is, and and for the first time in many years, the entire uh, staff of the chancery, with the exception of the retreat center staff, which of course will remain, remain here, here. here, yeah, right. But the rest of the chancery um, is going to come together into one building, in one building, and, and we th- we know it'll help uh, facilitate the cooperation and working together. So. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, I, our family has moved enough times that I have to use two hands and half of a foot to keep track of them, and uh, I know that packing. We most times we had movers, but sometimes we packed ourselves and moved. But the unpacking was probably the most stressful part. Where am I going to put this? Why did I even move this? Why do I need that? Yeah. What is the value of this? Why did I think this was valuable when it was packed? You know, well, all these and, things. And you, we think of things like a diocese has archives. Right. And those are records that are permanent and have to be kept. And, um, it, you know, uh, one of our, and one of the employees, the chancellor herself, had 65 boxes of files. Wow. That she had to move, or that we had to move, you know. Um, so it's it's just been kind of interesting, kind of amazing. But um, and it does raise the question of okay, do we really need that? <laughs> well, I am excited to get a tour when yep. you guys are all settled in. Yeah, we're settled in and, and moved back in and actually working there. So more to come on that. So, um, but let's move on because yes. uh, that's enough about all of us. That's enough about us. Yes, um, we have on the line with us today uh, Jason Atkins, as the executive director of the Catholic uh, Minnesota Catholic Conference. Uh, Jason, are you with us today? Good morning. Great to be with you. It's good to have you, too. Uh, we have a, uh, a, a director of Catholic Conference here for South Dakota, and I'm, I think they do up in North Dakota, too. And, and uh, so we're grateful um, for you and for the work that you do. So uh, begin, by, just begin by telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm a recovering uh, trial lawyer. Don't uh, hold that against me. But uh, that's <laughs> training and background, but also have uh, undergraduate master's degrees in theology. I'm a father of four uh, lovely children and um, husband to a beautiful, persevering, and patient wife. So uh, 
I've uh, done. I've been working in this position now for about ten years, and uh, it's been a real blessing and a real challenge. I'll have to be honest about that too. But uh, it, it's a unique opportunity to bring the church's voice into the public arena. We can see of ourselves here as missionary disciples to the capital. Pope Francis says to go to the peripheries, and uh, the capital and the political life is certainly one of those existential peripheries uh, of our time where the gospel needs to be brought. And so. That can, again, be challenging, but also exciting to see uh, things that can happen at the Capitol in those moments of grace uh, and the opportunity to protect life and dignity at all stages. So it's a a real blessing and a privilege to do this work, and uh, exciting to share more about that with uh, your listeners today. That's great, Jason, and uh, what I appreciate is your enthusiasm, because as you said, it is challenging work. So we want to talk about a very important aspect of the COVID-19 this morning, which is in the news, of course, and around us all the time. Um, that's the whole notion of the development of a vaccine. Um, obviously, there is a rush. There is a desire to create some sort of a vaccine. Um, but um, are there any ethical or moral issues that have arisen with how the vaccine potentially could be created? Well, these bioethical matters always present ethical challenges, and and the technology and science have allowed us to do so many things. And uh, but there can be this uh, kind of Promethean uh, sensibility that if we can do it, we should do it, and that we should not allow ethical barriers or principles uh, to get in the way of letting science conquer things that create suffering in our world. And, and diseases, infectious diseases, are certainly one of those things. But um, we have to do things and create vaccines and arrive at solutions to problems in accord with God's plan and the way in which he has providentially created our world and allow us to participate in it. You can't uh, do bad things for good ends, right? Um, just because you can do something and there's a positive outcome, you can't do make take immoral actions or immoral steps to do so. And so what's being proposed is that in some of these vaccines that are being created for COVID-19, that the old stem cell lines from aborted fetuses be used in the research process for that. And the Church has been very clear that using uh, exploiting the remains of aborted children uh, to create vaccines or medicines is deeply problematic and deeply wrong. And so to, uh, for pharmaceutical companies or other companies, research labs, to do this uh, would be, again, the exploitation of uh, the abortion, and then at the same time, the undignified use of those or fetal remains to create vaccines. And so there are many alternative ways to create vaccines. We create vaccines without using uh, issue and genetic material from aborted uh, fetuses. And so, therefore, we should do that in this case as well. There is a federal ban on using uh, remains of aborted children uh, that are recently developed. So you can't just uh, use new lines and create new lines of stem cells and, and tissue and research lines that uh, allow uh, experimentation. So that is a good thing, but there's also pressure to remove that ban at the federal level as well. And so uh, these are real complicated questions, and uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has taken a bold stand against uh, using the remains of aborted children in, in COVID-19 vaccines and we're communicating that to our uh, people here in Minnesota, and we hope that they uh, join with us and communicate to the administration in Washington that that shouldn't be done. Um, so you said the bishops, um, in other words, the U.S. Bishops Conference, um, are urging the FDA to develop an ethical vaccine. Um, where is that statement? When did it come about? And where is it available for people to read if they want to? 
That statement is available at the uh, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website at usccb.org. Members of the Catholic Advocacy Network here in Minnesota were sent an action alert about that, though, and so that's another reason why people should join the Catholic Advocacy Network, because we get a lot of questions, well, what are the bishops saying about this issue? And if you're a member of the Catholic Advocacy Network, uh, through our website, you can sign up at mncatholic.org, then you get the most up-to-date statements and action alert opportunities about key issues like this one. But for those listeners out there not in Minnesota who aren't members, usccb.org, and then there's a Take Action link, and they can find that action alert uh, for the HHS department and FDA at that link. Wonderful. So um, if people out there are listening to this um, conversation between myself and uh, Jason Atkins, the executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, you know, they might be saying, well, what can I do? How can I help? Um, how can how can we make our voice known so that this ethical vaccine is, in fact, developed? What, what can we do for to, to that end? Oh, I'm sorry. Just say, just again, go to that website, usccb.org. There is an action alert right there under the Take Action, uh, and people can click on that link. There's a pre-crafted message uh, that they can send uh, to the administration, and they can personalize that as well if they've got any personal anecdotes or other issues that they want to raise in regard to that vaccine. And then with a click of the mouse, uh, that message gets sent to um, the FDA and HHS. So that's a really quick and easy thing to do. It just takes uh, two minutes. Um, also, the National Catholic Bioethics Center has more background information if people want to inform themselves more thoroughly on the issue. And NCBC, uh, I think it's ncbc.org is the website. Don't quote me on that. You can just Google National Catholic Bioethics Center. It's another way to be more informed about the issue. Wonderful. That gives people practical things that they can do because I think a lot of times we hear about these movements or activities and we're sort of at a loss to know what, what how we can participate and make our voice heard. And um, the more people that, that can respond, the better off we'll be in terms of at least making our voice heard, as you said, in the public arena and dealing on, uh, about these critical uh, issues. So, yeah, um, it's really about showing up. I mean, we we sometimes forget that you know we feel powerless, that we lack the um, the agency, the political agency to make change. But uh, you'd be surprised at uh, what happens when people show up. And like I said, um, these action alerts, either through the USCCB or the Minnesota Catholic Conference, um, with a click of the mouse in two minutes. Um, you can, your voice can go a long way. And so that's why I don't want to sound shameless in putting in a plug for the Catholic Advocacy Network, but uh, it's, again, a, like you're saying, a great way to stay informed and not just know what to say, but when to say it, when it's most effective as well. So, uh, again, I direct your listeners to mncatholic.org to sign up for the Catholic Advocacy Network. Thank you. We're, we're talking to Jason Atkins, um, the director of the uh, Minnesota Catholic Conference, and we're going to shift gears now a little bit away from this topic of um, the eth- ethics of um, creating a vaccine for to co- counter the COVID-19. Um, you, you had an article in your April column of a Faith in the Public Arena. The title was A Time for Choosing in Politics. What message would you like to share with um, the, our listeners regarding that column? Well, one of the uh, forgotten uh, often forgotten principles of Catholic social teaching is is the question of solidarity, that we're all connected to each other, that uh, the well-being of our neighbor is intrinsically bound up into our own well-being. Uh, the easy way of saying this in a popular bumper sticker way is we all do better when we all do better. 
there's a there's a classic line from many pro-choice advocates uh, on the abortion issue that you know my body my choice well the absurdity of that sort of individualistic mentality has been made clear by this covid 19 case right just as the pro-life community is saying uh, no it's always a, it's more than about your body and your choice because another person is involved in the choice that you make the same thing is clear with um, covid 19 and the extraordinary steps that we've had to take and are taking to protect uh, the elderly and the most vulnerable, right? The social distancing and the quarantine is, yes, to protect yourself, but primarily to protect vulnerable populations. And so uh, the people are saying, well, if I want to do, if I want to go shopping or if I want to go out, that's, well, that's my choice. No, it's actually more, <laughs> it's more than about that. It's about other people. And so I think it's been a wake-up call for lots of folks, just as we're hearing about more participation and more praying, more participation in Mass. I mean, the numbers of people streaming mass on a daily basis uh, far are far greater than they were uh, people attending daily mass prior to the COVID nineteen crisis. I think we're having a better sense of solidarity and a stronger sense of solidarity, and that importance so that um, that the common good is an important principle, and we can't always base our political decisions on what we want on an individual level. So I think that's the point of the column is to say we need to rethink and reconsider this whole question of solidarity and indeed look at candidates as we head into an election season who focus on the common good and not simply trying to pander to uh, what people might want on an individual level, but who are the candidates and elected officials who are really speaking to the common good and our shared well-being and for that to be a significant consideration as we choose candidates in the fall. That's wonderful, and and for your Minnesota Catholics um, who you know uh, have the access to your great um, advice and counsel, um, what are you what are you calling them to do right now? Well, just to think and pray about that, and stay informed. Right, um, we we focus so much on what goes on in Washington, um, you know, Trump and you know the, the Joe Biden or whoever it's going to be in this uh, fall election, but we are often forgetting that the people who make some of the most important decisions that affect our lives on our daily basis, you know, whether our streets get plowed, the extent of our property taxes, what they're being used on, uh, these difficult moral questions that, that uh, I mentioned, like assisted suicide and the pro-life issue, these are state-level questions primarily, not federal ones in many cases. And so do we know who our state elected officials are? And then do we know what they stand for? And that gets overlooked in, in uh, these election seasons when we're so focused on the presidency and Congress. So I think the practical action step is to inform yourself about who represents you here in St. Paul or in Bismarck or in Pierre, and consider whether or not their voice is one of solidarity or if they're simply pandering to uh, individual preferences like the legalization of marijuana or expanded gambling, things that people like to do as hobbies or as leisure, but were we to legalize them would have extraordinarily harmful consequences on the poor, young people, and the vulnerable. That's, that those are wonderful thoughts. I mean, it 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 just brings it right back home <clears throat> to where we are and how we live. And, and you're absolutely right. I, you know, I I just voted in the uh, absentee in the in the primary for our state, and um, and there is a tendency in these when there's a national election going on in the election cycle, there's a tendency to focus more on that national than on the local and how that impacts us. So um, it's a, a wonderful opportunity. So. Um, it's great to visit with you, Jason. It's great to have you um, uh, being that one of those voices in the public arena for us, and um, we're, we're grateful for that. So is there anything, any other reflections you'd like to leave with us? We have about you know a minute or so left. 
Well, National Day of Prayer is coming up on May 7th, and although the, the, we're doing a special consecration of the Church today uh, to Mary, Mother of the Church, and putting the Church under the mantle of her protection this month of Mary, uh, National Day of Prayer is a great way to communicate to your legislators, regardless of their faith background, that you are praying for them. And so we have an action alert on our website, uh, ready to go at mncatholic.org, that listeners can send them a message letting them know they're praying for them as they make difficult decisions that affect the common good. So again, more information about that action alert, National Day of Prayer, and the Catholic Advocacy Network can be found at our website, mncatholic.org. Wonderful. Um, appreciate that. And uh, um, in your time with us, Jason, you've given us a lot to think about, a lot to reflect on, and and really that call to action is worthwhile. So thanks very much for your time with us today. Thanks for the time, and uh, please keep all of the State Catholic Conference uh, lobbyists in, in your prayers. Chris Motes in South Dakota and yep. uh, Chris Dodson in North Dakota do a great job, so we're grateful for their work. Thank you, and we will uh, make sure that they know that. <laughs> we'll say that we're, tell them we're praying for them, too. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. All right. Well, that was a great interview. It was that wonderful. That was full of so much information. Yeah, lots of information about about things that we're called to do. So um, still to come on uh, Real Presence Radio this morning, we're going to be talking um, ab about how Terra Sancta Retreat Center is helping to meet the needs of the faithful in the Diocese of Rapid City during this COVID-19 outbreak. And then we're going to have a little reflection about what's happening in our diocese here in Rapid City and a little bit over in Sioux Falls in terms of the resumption of what I call limited public masses. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back with those wonderful inf that, that wonderful information.